Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about No Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 392, releasing on Wednesday, June 16th, 2021. Of course, you may be listening to this some other time. And so you're like, I don't give a boop about June 16th. That's in the past, baby. I'm living in the moment. I am your host, Jen Kirkman. I am a comedian. I... uh, Host this podcast. I've been hosting it for eight years. We'll get to that in a minute. And, uh, but just to let you know, I have two Netflix specials. I'm going to die alone and I feel fine, which came out in 2014, and just keep living, which came out in 2016. Actually, I'm sorry, I'm going to die alone and I feel fine came out in 2015. Adjust your note taking. The reason I bring those up is not to brag or tell you to watch them because honestly, watching them does nothing for me. I already got paid. Doesn't work on a residual front like that, but I'm telling you because I'm reminding you. This isn't a comedy special. This is a podcast. Now, I think it's just as interesting as a comedy special because unlike a comedy special where I've rehearsed the jokes over and over, I know what I'm going to say. My job is to make it look spontaneous. This podcast is actually spontaneous. I am talking to you about topics that I may have jotted down and said I want to get into it this week, but my feelings, you never know what's going to happen when I turn on the mic. I am coming to you, real deal me, always honest, sometimes funny, of course, sometimes serious, always real. And every week it's new stuff. 
So if you are listening for the first time, please welcome, stay. If you want to hit up the archives going all the way back to the first episode, which was in 2013, you may do so by going to my website, jenkirkman.com, and then click on the little podcast button. All of the information will be there for you. Of course, there is no cost to listen to the entire archives. You just go back. I don't know what you listen to this podcast on. Any of the available apps are fine with me, but just please do subscribe. That is what helps me the most. And I cannot thank you enough for listening. I have had a sort of renaissance with loving doing this podcast. And so I thank you for staying with me. Hopefully we'll just keep having more fun. A lot of you tell me that you listen to this podcast while doing the dishes, walking the dog, going to bed at night, working from home, driving to and from work. I thank you for taking me along with you while you make the mundane a little more interesting. And if you're going to bed, good night, sleep tight, see it in the morning when you rewind everything you missed. What kind of dreams are you having if you manage to fall asleep to this podcast? Do you dream about what I'm talking about? You can send me an email and let me know. I seem fun at gmail.com because who doesn't like to read about someone's dreams? That's interesting. (laughs) Oh, man, what are we going to talk about this week? Well, I've got a few things on my mind. I'm going to shout them all out and we'll uh, we'll see what actually makes it on the episode. And if it doesn't make it on this week... We'll get it next week. Of course, I want to talk about cabbage versus iceberg lettuce. Big controversy going on in my social media. That dumb sign. Have you? Do you guys have these in your neighborhood? Drive like your kids live here. I'm, I want to take that sign down metaphorically. Well, I want to take it down literally, but I can only take it down metaphorically here on the podcast. I'm going to talk about sharks. There are not more sharks than ever, people. It's because we have drones and we can see them now. So there are no more sharks than there used to be. They're not out to get us. And as we come into the summer, I want to remind everybody, I am pro-shark, anti-human. If you get bitten by a shark, you were bitten by a shark. You were not attacked. You were bitten. Sharks don't attack. They make mistakes because they're fucking dumb. They're sharks. You think this shark has evolved to know that your surfboard isn't food? Well, now they're coming closer to the um, thing and than ever before because of climate change. Okay, so we're destroying their home in the ocean and they're getting closer to the shore and you still think they're attacking you? When you we could talk about this later. God, I'm worked up. And of course, I'm going to talk about at the end of the podcast. For those of you who are like, I don't care about comedy. There's more comedy drama going on as we as we are one of the industries that is so far behind in uh, actually making any progress with rooting out the racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, problematic in every way, power-tripping assholes, be they comedians or bookers in the industry. And one prominent person who had a very uh, prominent job 
finding new talent for one of the most prestigious comedy festivals in the world resigned after only 24 hours of people on Twitter simply telling the truth about who he's always been. He was not canceled. People were just tweeting. And he knew he was found out. And I'm going to talk about what was really going on on the inside for so many years, my experiences with this person, what it's really like when you're starting out in comedy and you don't know who to listen to. It turns out you shouldn't really listen to anybody. And these pariahs, and they're all, there's so many gatekeepers still there. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting story, even if you're not, you know, someone who's obsessed with stand-up comedy. And of course, we've got just a couple of listener emails, you guys weighing in on various things that you heard me speak about during the week. Again, this is No Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast. I am part of the Misfit Toys Comedy Network, started by Jimmy Pardo and Matt Belknap, who of course are the hosts and producers of Never Not Funny, a great podcast. I was actually on the Never Not Funny show last week, and so I will put the link in the show notes. I always love hanging out with my old friends, Jimmy and Matt. And side note, trivia, Matt Belknap, co-host and producer of the Never Not Funny podcast, is also one of the founders of A Special Thing Records. I have done uh, two albums with A Special Thing Records. And uh, I did a third actually recently, a couple of years ago. It's it's my it's my comedy special just keep living. However, they so they just put it out as an audio version, but I thought, well that's that's not special enough. What if I record like a 20 25 minute bonus so that if people buy the album of what they've already seen on Netflix, they get a whole track of me explaining the story behind each joke, the truth what's exaggerated, where I came up with the idea. So it's great for the comedy completist. It's great for somebody who wants to learn about that stuff. And I will put a link in the show notes to where you can buy that album. Of course, if you don't feel like looking at the link in the show notes, I guess you could go to my Twitter at Jen Kirkman, J-E-N-K-I-R-K-M-A-N. And you could go to my Instagram, uh, also at Jen Kirkman. And click the link in both bios. I have one of those nifty link tree links that once you click into there, it brings up everything you could possibly want. Links to buy my books, links to buy my albums, links to buy merchandise, the whole shebang. And let me remind you that in the month of June, all of the merchandise in my store, all of the merchandise that I sell And I don't get to keep 100% of the proceeds, but I do get to keep some of them. I am donating 100% to food banks. And this month, June, the food bank that I am donating to is the Greater Boston Food Bank. I'm fucking from there. Well, I'm from a suburb outside of Boston, but I went to college in Boston and I fucking lived there for years. So this one goes out to my Boston people. Let's help the people of Boston. And I will let you know that uh, June 23rd to 27th, if you want to mark it on your calendar, there's a 35% off sale in the merchandise store. So you can pay full price today. You can get a discount 
next week. Up to a you. And we've got real cute things for summer. I know not everybody. I know like my Australians, it's winter right now. But for the North American folks and and other places, if you we've got cute tanks and teas and tote bags. You know, get a I meditated today, motherfucker tote bag. Take it to your yoga class. You know, I've got a girls will be girls tote bag. Carry it around. You don't have your mask on anymore, but maybe it'll keep guys from telling you to smile because it's a big fist and it's like, girl, girls will be girls. Don't fuck with us. Right? You can get a fun tank top that says over 40 if you are indeed over 40. Celebrate that at the gym or at the beach. Women are literally humans. A great design looks very 70s. That looks super cute on a tank top. Got t-shirts. I mean, everything you can get. You can get any design on anything. T-shirt, tank tote. T-shirts that say respect Generation X. That's a fun one. Get it in all kinds of colors, sizes, all genders. Another one, anxious and fun. That is a cute t-shirt that can let everyone know that you're anxious about getting back out there after COVID. You don't know how to be a person in the world. But you are still fun, aren't you? So please do shop. The link is in the show notes. And uh, if not, you can always go to jenkirkman.com and click shop. And there you go. So I think I've warmed you all up. Now, let me just mention one more thing before I tell you about Drive Like Your Kids Live Here. Let me tell you that my Patreon subscribers have already gotten a little 15-minute bonus episode at the top of this episode. I'm speaking directly to camera, and they can see me and my great hair in my cute little no-fun home office studio. And I told them a story and showed them a picture of the last time I saw Joan Rivers, and she wrote me a note, and it is framed here in my office. So there you go. Patreon is $5 a month. With that, you get the video version every week, which again is always a little longer than the audio version. And you get one short audio bonus episode a month. That is something about pop culture. Of course, if you join today, you have access to every $5 episode that I have had since the beginning, since 2020. There's also some stand-up sets that I threw in there that I taped off my phone on the road. And of course, you can get more bonuses for more money. 10 bucks a month, I think, is the best one. That gets you two short bonus episodes a month about pop culture, the video version, and a one-hour audio bonus every month. You get at least, at least two to three hours of bonus stuff every month. And of course, you get to go back through the archives and watch all of the other cool stuff that was part of the $10 bonus. Some recent ones were... I went home to visit my family and I made a movie of it. That's for $10 bonus subscribers. This week, June 16th, the $10 bonus subscribers got a one-hour audio episode about me talking about my journey with anxiety from childhood to now, what I've done to overcome some, how I cope daily, what it looks like today, and some things I've learned this year in my research for my new upcoming podcast, Anxiety Bites, which will premiere in August. More details to come. So I really would appreciate if you have the money, join the Patreon. It is quite literally my job 
as my writing job on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel for the year wraps up. My Patreon is my only income for the rest of the year. And, uh, you know, I'm not making what I normally make a month with touring and all that other stuff. So I'm living on about a third of what I usually live on. So hey, support the people in comedy that you love, especially the women. And uh, that would be great. And if you can't, no big deal, guys. Just make sure you stay tuned and you subscribe. That helps a lot, too, because I know you hear the ads on this podcast. The more subscribers, the more they pay me for the ads. How you how's about that? And the Patreon version is also ad-free if that's something that gets you going. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Again, link in the show notes to join. Now, you're good, Jen. When do you start entertaining us? Well, if you didn't find any of that entertaining, I can't even pretend it was. So I'm I'm, I'm taking a hike the other day and I see this sign. I hike this trail in uh, Studio City called Fryman Canyon. If any murderers are out there who want to come murder me, you may find me on Fryman Canyon sometimes. Now, I will add a caveat for the murderers. I'm not telling you when I go. I go anytime I want. I don't have a set schedule every day. So you're going to have to camp out there and wait for me. The other caveat murderers is that there are lots of people. I'm never alone when I'm hiking. My dad gets up there. Well, you're going hiking? What, what, geez, if you're going to be all alone? I mean, what? You know, I understand. L.A. has... uh, gotten into my brain where we call things hiking. Now, I don't know what I'm supposed to call it because it's not just walk. I mean, I'm walking. But I'm not just walking a flat surface. I'm not walking a neighborhood walk. I'm walking a trail. It's technically in the woods. We have little mini mountains here, right? You can hike in the Griffith Park Observatory. Giant Griffith Park. It's uphill, downhill. It's a hike uneven terrain. Isn't that what a hike is? We can hike uh, more on the west side, closer to the ocean. We can go on hikes there. I'm forgetting the name right now, which is why I'm pausing. It's not going to come to me. I'm having a perimenopausal moment. Doesn't matter if I name it right now, but I'm going to sit here and go, I need to remember the name of it. It's not Walt Disney. It's another guy that did some like woodsy kind of stuff. Hikes in L.A. was, why do I, I am trying to tell a story to Mescal Canyon Loop. Then there's one in Baldwin Hills. There's Bronson Canyon in Griffith Park. Malibu Creek State Park, that's too far. I know you're you're like, didn't you, oh, Will Rogers, that's who I was trying to think of is sort of where that Temescal hike is. The guy that just hosted Jeopardy that died, Alec 
not Alec Baldwin, Alex Trebek. There's an Alex Trebek trail near another place called Runyon Canyon. He bought this land and you can hike that mile long thing. So anyway, these places are always crowded. That's why locals have their different times that they go. We all think we've figured out the perfect time to go when there aren't a lot of people. There's a trail called Runyon Canyon, which is not shaded at all. And you are in the direct hot sun. And uh, it's a beautiful view. You kind of get a view of downtown LA, which again, unlike most cities, downtown is not the center. It doesn't mean the heart center of LA. It's a whole separate area that you never, like I have nothing to do with downtown. You might go there to see, they've got the theaters there, almost like you're going to Broadway. It's sort of like our Times Square, like nobody local really goes, but they also have wonderful restaurants. They've got like brand new apartment complexes. I mean, downtown is thriving. It's a pain in the ass to get to. It's like a long drive. Back roads, it's like 40 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes. With traffic, you could just be sitting there for an hour. It's LA is sprawling. But a lot of times people come to LA and they'll say, I'm staying right downtown. And they mean West Hollywood, which couldn't be, it's too, couldn't be further from what downtown is. Nobody cares, Jen. Why are you going into this? I don't know. So the hike, I see a sign. But I'm, I was, so I was explaining what hiking was. We all think we have the perfect times to go. So that Runyon hike, it's hot and sunny. And it's everybody who has a dog. And it smells like poop. Even though people pick up their poop, imagine hundreds of dogs pooping that wet dog poop all at once. Everybody got a pit bull in LA. Everybody's rescuing pit bulls. God bless you. But pit bulls do hot, steamy poops. And it's a hot, sunny day. And then everyone's walking. And everyone on Runyon is what everyone thinks LA is, which is hot, beautiful, people with their shirts off, women hiking in bikinis, men hiking in no shirt. That's where you go if you want to see hot people. Every other hike is people like me with a hat that looks like I'm going to the Australian Outback. The hat in and of itself has some kind of SPF in the cloth. I've got my sunglasses on. Fully covered up to avoid a sunburn and there's lots of trees and I try to go at times of day where it's not that hot. My hike is not the hot people hike. My hike is the please don't give me skin cancer. Nobody look at me. I just want to get some exercise hike. But anyway, murderers, if you're out there and you want to come get me on Fryman Canyon, good luck to you. Because I also hike with a flashlight that has mace in it, an air horn, and a rape whistle. <clears throat> you may laugh, ha, 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 women always have to be prepared because there's something going on in society since the beginning where men, by far, are murdering them and raping them. Oh, isn't this delightful? And you go, well, Jen, why do I have a flashlight? I don't know. I just worry that sometimes I'm going to not calculate correctly if I'm hiking closer to sunset and I have it just in case. 
Also, I can knock someone over the head with it. I mean, it's not a huge flashlight. Like, anyway. So I'm, I'm done with my hike. And I'm walking back through the neighborhood that I parked my car in. Gorgeous neighborhood. I mean, woo, money, money, people. These homes are gorgeous. George Clooney lives in one of the houses that you have to walk by as you exit the hiking trail and go towards wherever you parked your car. George Clooney, that's right. You can't see his house per se, and no one really knows exactly which house it is, but it's it's not totally hidden. It's like, oh yeah, it's up there somewhere. And you, I think you see the driveway. You see these tennis courts and like what looks like a really cute outdoor restaurant kind of thing, but it's really his side house that's that's really his wine cellar or something. I used to have a facialist whose best friend was his assistant. So I got all the details of uh, the layout of his house and how generous he is to his uh, employees. Anyway. So I'm walking through this neighborhood and there is a sign that says, and I've seen this everywhere, drive like your kids live here. And I'm immediately enraged. I mean, I'm not, I just want to make sure people aren't worried about my, I was going to say my cholesterol, my blood pressure. I mean, I'm not actually feeling rage, but I just full of judgment. And I just go, really? You know, I remember George Carlin talked about this in one of his last stand-up specials, the fetishization, fetish, fetishizing children. And he didn't mean like in a creepy sexual way. He meant parents almost acting like a fetish way of um, what it is to raise children, fetishizing the concept of raising children. Everything's about children. Kids, 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 you know. And listen, I'm not advocating for let's go back to a time when there weren't seatbelts because that was my my time. Um, well, at the very least, there weren't seatbelts um, on the school bus. I just still don't know if there are. I still think it's weird that there aren't seatbelts on the Amtrak. I think about that all the time. How come there aren't seatbelts on the Amtrak? I mean, I understand it for airplanes because if you hit some bad turbulence, you know, seatbelts on airplanes are not in case the plane crashes. I mean, I think at that point, you know. But it keeps you from getting a head injury or falling uh, or being kind of lifted out of your seat if the turbulence gets bad enough. Seatbelts are important. If you lose altitude, start free-falling a little bit. Seatbelts are important. They keep you grounded. Maybe Amtrak is like, well, we don't have that, so we don't need that. It's just crazy. I mean, I take Amtrak a lot. All over this country. I mean, I've gone cross-country in Amtrak three times, and then I've used it up and down the West Coast, up and down the East Coast, through the Midwest. The Midwest Amtrak, I mean, I am on... I am one reason. Well, first of all, our democracy is hanging by a thread and there's an entire party hell bent on destroying democracy. And the thing is, they don't care about democracy, the GOP. That's the problem. We're not or even some kids that are way too to the left. And I don't mean that they have better values than me. When I say way too to the left, I mean like these political things that aren't even in my purview about like they don't believe democracy works. And that 
you know, the GOP doesn't want democracy to work because that means everyone has a voice and there are, you know, people of color and people that aren't straight and, you know, they don't want that. The left, kids new to politics who want to burn everything down, they haven't been raised in a society where um, they, they weren't old enough to see the promise of democracy. And it's messy and it's hard, but uh, I don't know why I'm getting into this political thing, but my point about the democracy rant is that the GOP doesn't want democracy, right? It's not like we're going to convince them oh, guys, we all want democracy, but you're going about it the wrong way. And they're going to go, oh, no, no. They're like, yeah, we don't want it. We want autocracy. How the fuck did I get? What the hell is, oh, kids. So I'm not trying to be uh, like, oh, things were better back in the day. I still think I, I know that's where I was, but I think I had a through line for talking about democracy. Man, man, oh man. Do I need some of that jellyfish medication? Don't email me about memory. <laughs> this is this is what stream of conscious does. Anyway, my point is this drive like your kids live here. And I and I hated that sign. Because listen to me. I know you're trying to say drive safe. And and it is a neighborhood where there's a lot of extra. It's not busy streets at all. In fact, the street I'm talking about is a dead end. So mostly people would, they don't even use that street to drive through to anywhere. They just may park on it to go on this hiking trail because it is public parking. You don't need a permit. And um, so, yeah, you can just park in front of people's houses. You can I guess you could use that street to turn around, but it's very narrow. So you would really end up doing a, it's not a cul-de-sac at the end of the street. You would end up doing a 15 point turn. So I understand the concept of they have to put a sign for people that don't live in that neighborhood. Hey, assholes, just barreling through trying to find parking. Maybe you're in a hurry. You got to get, get out of your car and hike before the sun sets or before you have to go to work. Kids live here. If you don't drive safely, a kid could run out into the road. And if you're driving fast, you'll kill that kid before you have time to slam on the brakes. I get what the sign means. Hey, hey, person, you're not in your neighborhood right now. Maybe you drive carefully in your neighborhood. You got to drive carefully in this one too. drive like your kids live here. And to that, I say, that is insulting to both people with children and without. Here's how it's insulting to people with children. First of all, you have kids, whether they're your adopted or your bio kids, but you love them. You've got to bond with them, right? You can't help but love the little shits. You don't want to run them over. Inevitably, if you live on a street and you have kids, you're not just driving safe because of your kids that live on the street. There's other kids on the street and elderly and all kinds of ages. There's no world where you drive nicely on your street because you are only thinking of your children. 
And there's no world where you suddenly, if you're a careful driver, are going to go into another neighborhood and start tearing it up, doing donuts, drag racing, and going, my kids don't live here. I don't give a shit. You're not going to be unaware that children and people live on this street. Uh, You're not going to suddenly be like, well, I don't care if other kids die. My kids are the only ones whose lives I want to save by driving carefully, right? It's a dumb sign. And I know I'm reading way too into it, taking it way too seriously. It's a cute way of saying, I know you don't live in these parts, but some of us do. Please respect it. Just put that. How about a sign that says, do you want to serve for involuntary manslaughter? Because that's a 20-year sentence. And it'll ruin your life. Yeah, you might go to prison and end up, you know, just writing a book about it. You know, you probably get a book deal when you get out. You will cry many tears. You might find religion. You might make best friends in the prison. You might be because you're an otherwise upstanding member of society who truly was just driving so fast that you didn't notice little Timmy and little Tina running in front of your car. You didn't mean to. You are filled with regret. You had to go to prison And your own family was left at home. And you were the breadwinner, man or woman. And what, you lost your job because you're in prison. You can't work from prison. This isn't a pandemic work from home situation. You're in prison. You lost all your rights. And now your family's struggling. Your partner is doing some weird, I don't know what, a multi-level marketing scheme to try to keep their head afloat. They're having yard sales. The kids are like, why is mommy or daddy in prison? Oh, well, you remember Timmy and Tina? Yeah, they were my best friends. Well, mommy and or daddy killed them. Why? They were driving like that. The, they were driving like you guys didn't live in this neighborhood. Oh, my God, there should have been a sign. So you go to prison, involuntary manslaughter. Maybe you see some wrongs in the prison system. You want to right them. Maybe you feel if you're a woman, but let, I'm going to come out and work for women in prison. I'm going to help them. I'm going to teach people life skills that they need. Whatever it is, you can, you can make your life work in prison, but it's going to ruin your life. And that, my friends, is probably what keeps most of us from not driving like a maniac. That and also, we don't want to get in an accident where the insurance goes, so someone hit you, is that true? Uh, yeah, but really you've just crashed into a bush that had a stone wall behind it that you didn't see. Because you were driving too fast. I was looking, okay, well, uh, um, okay, uh, my insurance company can tell that um, the big dent in my car and the marks on it are from a stone wall, and they can tell another car didn't hit me, especially because I didn't have another car's information. Um, and, and the insurance company, you know, they're really good. They come out and, and they see the scene, and they're like, this looks like someone who was driving fast and looking the other way because they were trying to see George Clooney's house, and they hit this bush that really had a stone wall behind it. You caught me. The insurance person's like, did you see George Clooney's house? No, I couldn't. It seems to be up. Yeah, I've heard that that's just sort of his his outdoor wine area. Oh, that is great. We don't need to be fetishizing children and reminding parents how to parent. They know. We've all got reasons to not drive fast. And sometimes we forget and we do go too fast. But I swear to God, seeing a sign that says drive like your kids live here makes me want to put the pedal to the metal and run over the sign. 
and leave a note that says, I'm driving like one of these annoying signs is here. And really, are you saying that parents, I know you think you're glorifying parents with that sign. Hey, we all have kids. Let's appeal to the parents because we're all amazing people that love our kids. Yeah, well, what you're saying with that sign is you could only care about other people. Unless it was put in the context of, oh, so see these humans? They're just like your humans at home. Huh. I mean, I have to... I'll have to go slow just so I can think about that while I drive. So my kids have as much human value as these other kids that I don't know about? Huh. Hmm. They should teach you that in school or something. I, d- I didn't know. Are you saying that only parents can have empathy for things as it directly relates to them as parents? Are they not people who lived an entire life before they had kids having to think about others because it's the right thing to do, do unto others and such. Why don't you put a sign that says, drive like you're standing in the middle of the road? You know what I mean? And also, what about us people without kids? So are we just maniacs who drive crazy because we don't have kids of our own? And if we don't have kids of our own, then we certainly don't give a shit about your kids, right? We're just... We're not even part of this sign culture. I guess people without kids like, yeah, fuck it. You know what? They probably want to hit kids. They're terrible people. They're selfish. They don't have kids. See, everyone who told me I was selfish for not having a kid, this sign embodies the selfishness that some people with kids have. They can't see out of their own asshole. Now, Jen, you go, Jen, can you see out of your own asshole? Because that would be very difficult. I say, no, I cannot see out of my own asshole. But that's not a problem because my head isn't up my ass. So these signs are terrible and I like to make fun of them. If you see a sign that says that, I encourage you. Now, don't graffiti it. You know, that's don't destroy someone else's property. But maybe tape Tape a piece of paper that says, drive like you'll get 20 years for involuntary manslaughter (laughs) or drive carefully. You don't want your insurance to go up or drive as though you are in the middle of the road. There's a hologram of you. (laughs) I mean, I think that is what most people relate to. You know what I mean? I mean, think about a politician. I'm not just going to run for office. You know, I'm not going to run for slow down and drive safely community council leader. I'm not just going to run and talk about people who have kids. I'm leaving out an entire sect of the population, people without kids, people who are teenagers themselves. They don't have kids yet. See, I'm going to win that election because I'm relating to all y'all. If you get in an accident, your insurance rates go up. You may be at fault and have to pay for your car fixings. You don't have money for that. We don't want to waste money on that. Do you want to go to prison for involuntary manslaughter? No, you don't. You want your freedom. I see myself getting elected right now. All of you are hitting the ballot box. Thank you. And my inauguration speech will be, I remember the day I saw that sign. 
And George Clooney will be there. He was one of my top donors to the city council or whatever I said position. And he'll be like, I seen, I've seen that sign. It's on my street. And I, it used to drive me crazy until Amal and I had children and I, I thought differently about it. And then I realized, no, I've spent 50 years of my life caring about, caring about other people. And, and Jen's right. And I finally invited her over to my house, but she cannot tell you where it is. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So I, uh, this is really dumb. I've talked about, I think I've talked about this concept before on the podcast, probably way earlier in the pandemic. So I was using this thing called Instacart, which is grocery delivery. And it's this app, and this is not an ad, I'm just telling you. But if you go on Instacart, you can get things delivered, at least in my neck of the woods, from Ralph's, which is a grocery store here, Gelson's, another grocery store, a little more expensive one, uh, Bevmo, which is a you know wine and liquor store, Target, Walmart, Costco, whatever. So... I did the Instacart thing during the pandemic because I was afraid to go in a grocery store. Yes, I used to tip my Instacart shopper quite well and I would order my groceries. I'm very kind to the Instacart shoppers. They are often teenagers who, I don't know if they grew up in households where their parents are yelling at them, but they are very skittish about getting things wrong. And on the Instacart app, it will say, you know, you will say, I would like some half and half cream. And then it will say, pick a replacement if we're out of this. And so mostly they have instructions of what replacement to get. Sometimes there there just aren't any and they'll, but I get asked the weirdest questions. Like I, (laughs) there was something wrong with my water filter in my home and I needed to get some gallons of bottled water for that week. And I indicated what I wanted. And there was like a 30-ounce size and then a, a little bit smaller. I mean, like, I don't know, 22-ounce. Same brand, same everything. They were out of the big size. And so the Instacart shopper texted me a photo of the smaller size and said, is this okay? And I said, yeah, it's the same water. Like, yeah, just get the smaller size. I don't care. And they're like, but it's a smaller size. I'm like, no big deal. Um, just get a couple extra then. And they're like, okay. I just didn't want to get extra without you know. I'm like, God, I great. But it, like, it kept going. And then they were like, I could find water of that size in a different brand. I was like, I got it, but I like this brand because it, it has a pH level. I'm not even going to get into it. Everyone goes, that's bullshit. Well, you know what? It helps my acid reflux. So if it's bullshit, it's bullshit. If it's not, great. And then they're like, I just want to do a good job for you. I'm like, what is happening? You're doing a great job. Even if you're not, I'm still tipping you well because your job sucks. Not like your job sucks, but like it sucks to probably have to deal with people that are yelling at you. So I'm probably, you know, it's probably the customers that make everyone skittish, not their parents. But anyway, but I'm back to doing my own grocery shopping. I like to hit up a Trader Joe's. 
I still don't like to go to the big store. Nothing to do with COVID. I just got used to not not going. And I'm like, I don't feel like going because they never have cashiers anymore. It's all self-checkout. And it's like, I hate self-checkout, even though I was a grocery store checkout person uh, in 1988 through 92. Thank you. Started working when I was 14. Not sure if that's legal. I think it was. I was the fastest cashier. This is before debit cards. You could only pay in cash or check. People making change in my head. I made change the other day, by the way, really quick. Uh, My new thing is walking to run my errands. It's about a four mile walk. So I had some that to pick up something at CVS, drop something at the post office. I went into the store called Madewell. I don't know if you know that clothing store. And I had uh, ordered some pants online and I was picking them up at the store. Elastic waistpants. So I walk into Madewell and I actually had a bunch of cash. I love to have cash. I have cash. Again, any murderers out there who want to murder me on Fryman Canyon and then steal my cash, I have cash hidden all over my home. I mean, not like thousands of dollars, but I got a little cash in my office here. I got a little cash in my wallet. I got a little cash in my go bag in case there's an earthquake. I just feel safe with having some cash. When the shit goes down, whatever that shit is, and our ATM cards don't work and we can't take out our money, I don't know. I feel safe having a couple hundred bucks. So I had some cash on me. And I don't like to use my card like every five seconds, you know? So I go to Madewell to pick up these pants. They're like $15. I go in, I say, do you take cash? And the girl looked at me like, uh... Yeah, she's like, sorry, I just no one literally is. I've worked here for years, ever paid cash. Now, I get during COVID, there was a whole thing of COVID can live on money for eight years, and everyone thought money had COVID. And so I get why people didn't pay cash all year, but I have a feeling nobody was paying cash anyway. So I gave her 1509 or whatever, and I actually had exact change on me. And I handed it to her, and she did her thing, and she said, Oh my God, I've never. First of all, I've, I've never done a cash transaction at this store. She wasn't an idiot. She wasn't saying she doesn't know how. She was just like taking it in. And she said, and nobody's ever given me exact change, which I guess would make sense if she's never done a cash transaction, but she's never experienced. She'd never paid anything in exact change in her life. She'd never seen it happen. She was probably in her early 20s. And I was like, girl, the stories I can tell about pain with exact change receiving exact change at the grocery store. Oh, honey, what time do you get off work? Let Aunt Jen buy you a drink. I'll tell you about the old days. And I said, well, I'm honored to be the first. I almost want like a plaque on the wall at Madewell. The first person to give exact change here. It was a good feeling. And she said to me, you know, that was quicker than using your card or using a card. I said, yeah, because I had it right there. Now, maybe not everybody's quicker with their change. I get it. People are, you know, we used to make those jokes at the grocery store, the little old ladies. Hang on, I think I have five pennies. One, two, you know, but that's an age thing. But if you know what you're paying and you got the change, there you go. Boom. You don't have to wait, put the chip in. Oh, you put it in the wrong way. Oh, it's been doing that today. Okay, so hang on. Let me override it. Let me just get my manager. Nope, none of that shit. Yeah, now just put in your PIN number. It takes a minute to process. Yeah, it's our server. The internet's being weird. No, don't need the internet. 
for exact change. I'm bringing it back. As Bitcoin continues to be a mystery, I'm bringing back real coin. And no, you don't get any interest if you just have cash sitting around. I get it. But I did find $17 today in a uh, biography of Bob Fosse that I had. And I moved it to a different location and $17 fell out. So who knows? Maybe my cash that's been sitting around is making money. And by the way, I don't hide cash in a Bob Fosse book. That was something totally random. I probably had it in my purse once and money fell in. That was That's not a hiding place. I'm not saying that to deter you from... Uh, when you come and try to steal my money, I'm just saying it as like, I'm not that wacky that that's where I would hide money because I would forget. The money I hide in my home is in my checkbook. And you're like, what's a checkbook? I don't have time to get into it. Now, I was telling a totally different story, which was the cabbage versus lettuce. Don't wait, guys. I know where I'm going. So I do an Instacart order last week because I'm, I'm pretty busy and I don't feel like going shopping. And I usually go to the farmer's market in my neighborhood every Sunday, support the local farmers and buy fruits and veggies. And that last Sunday, I had appointments all morning. I could not. And I had to get a few heavy items. It's easier to do it through Instacart. I'm not justifying it just in case you're all like, tell me about it. And you wouldn't say it with the emphasis on about it. You'd say, tell me about it. The shoppers are usually younger in my neighborhood and they have a little cart that they use and I have an elevator in my building and so there's not a lot of heavy lifting blah 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 if I do shopping with heavy stuff I park my car which is nowhere near our elevator bank it's like on the opposite end then I have to make five trips I ain't making five trips I I don't want to I don't want to get a little cart that I keep in my car I just let the chi- let the teenage boys deliver me the heavier items. So like once a month, I'll do a delivery that has some household heavy items in it. And this time, I added the vegetables to it because I wasn't going to be able to get to the farmer's market. And I wanted iceberg lettuce. I love an iceberg lettuce. They delivered it. And this has happened twice before. They brought me a cabbage. A cabbage is not a lettuce. Iceberg lettuce is is flakier. It's wet feeling. Cabbage feels like rubber. And I, they're labeled in the grocery store. I mean, I've been to a grocery store. Again, did I mention I've worked in one? It's labeled. So they're just not even reading it. Or they see cabbage. I don't know what's going through their head, but they, they confuse the two. And you know why I know they do? I'll admit it. I'm infallible or fallible. Oh my God, I just used the wrong word. I'll admit it. I'm fallible. I'm not infallible is what I meant to say. I once confused cabbage for lettuce back at the grocery store. Oh, probably one of my first years there in 1994. Because I was 14. I wasn't really making my own food yet. And I rang up somebody's cabbage as lettuce. And the cabbage happened to be cheaper. And they were like, excuse me, that's not. That's, you got that wrong. And I realized that I didn't know the difference or that at first glance, I couldn't tell. 
And then this woman explained to me the difference. And I was like, no, I know I've had cabbage before and I've had lettuce. I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I fucked up. So my thing is teenagers don't know unless they're told. And who is telling these teenagers? It's a different world. So I have to be the one to tell them. But I didn't notice the mistake until it was too late. Now I can't get in touch with that shopper. (laughs) I hope they're listening. My point is, it was fine. I don't like cabbage. I wasn't able to use it for anything. But I took a little video of myself saying, this is cabbage, kids, not iceberg lettuce. And then I posted a picture of it, of me looking forlorn and like hanging my head with the cabbage. And I said, when you ask your Instacart for iceberg and they deliver cabbage. Now, all it was was a way of saying, when you get the thing you didn't want, especially when you notice it too late. It's not like I noticed it. I mean, I wouldn't have said anything if he came to the door and I wouldn't go, go back and get, I mean, no. It's just kind of like, ah, shit. I had my heart set on making the salad that day with all the other ingredients I had specifically for the salad. So I had to have a salad without the lettuce. Does that make sense? I didn't want to eat it. on. I don't like cabbage. It's gross. I don't like slaw. I've tried. I know it's coming back in style. All hipsters are making slaw. I don't want it. Hate it. But I posted the picture on Facebook because I'm not, listen, I'm just trying to put stuff out there that isn't constantly advertising my shows and my podcasts. Just something relatable. Maybe people will pass it around. Someone new will follow me. Then they'll find out about the podcast. This is how my mind works. My posts are never really about the post. They always come back to buy my work, listen to my podcast, get the people in with the cabbage posts. <laughs> and they go, I got to find out more about this girl. What? She's got Netflix specials and books. And it's also supposed to be, you know, that feeling when you get the wrong thing and you're just like, Ugh. even though you're a grown person in a first world country who's very grateful for all of the wonderful things happening in her life and in the democracy she lives in that is hanging by a thread. Yes, gratitude, everybody. Toxic positivity over here. But sometimes you have just an oversized reaction in your heart to nothing. I think that's quite relatable. That's all I wanted people to do. Go, I've been there. One time I got bananas when I asked for lemons. You scroll by, you go, ha, ain't that life? Mental note. Next time Jen Kirkman's in town, I'm going to go see her. Nope. Everyone on Facebook was like, "Um, here's a cabbage recipe. Someone's like, oh, just fry it up with bacon. I'm like, I have been vegetarian for 34 years. I talk about it in my books, in my podcast, in my stand-up. Now all this thing is doing is showing me that absolutely nobody pays attention to my work. People are in it are like, I can understand why that's hard for you. You're Jewish. I'm not Jewish. Wish I was. Love the Jewish people. I'm Catholic. The reason that offends me is because it's all I talk about in my act. So you don't even know my comedy. Then someone else is like, you're Irish, not Irish. Talk about that in my act. Everything is people telling me what nationality I am, getting it wrong. Every single comment is translation. I've never paid for your books, watched your specials, or listened to your podcasts. And that that post is to get... get, get. (laughs) And someone's like, you will love it. Fry it up with onions. You don't know me? What do you mean, I'll love it? I don't like onions. 
and I can't eat them anyway with acid reflux. You will love it. Who are you? I've never seen your face. Isn't that weird that people talk that way? Now, you might put, you know what I love to do with cabbage? Mix it with onions and butter. Then I can't get mad at that because I go, that's just someone telling me what they like to do with cabbage. And I'm happy for them. That sounds like a delight for them. And and they haven't put it in a way that's telling me that that's what I should do. Even if these secretly are, they didn't put it that way. So I ain't got no angry response in my head, right? And if if I didn't know about that delicacy and it sounded good to me, I'd say, well, I like the way they posited that. So I'm gonna try it. And then someone else was like, well, I guess that's what happens when you don't do your own shopping. I don't know why someone wouldn't. It's like you don't. So you're the person. So see, I love these people. It's so fun to get them caught in their own trap. The person on social media who's trying to shame you for not doing your own shopping and being like, I don't know who wouldn't. Like that's when you can come back and be like, oh, someone with neck arthritis with me who can't lift. Someone who lives alone like me who can't lift. Oh, someone who um, is so busy with work and they have no one else to rely on to pay their bills. So I sometimes need a little extra help. Yeah, that's me. It's not some rich bitch situation. I mean, of course I do have uh, a little more money probably than then um, I don't know, some people and I have less than others, right? Um, to me, a way I like to spend my money sometimes is on the Instacart. I get free. I don't have to pay the service fee because I pay like a one-time yearly fee that seems to work out in my favor. But oh, oh don't you love those people? <laughs> I guess you don't do your own shopping. Oh, I guess you made an assumption based on one post about cabbage. Mm-hmm. Am I really upset about this? No. Just telling you all what's going on on social media, for those of you who aren't on it, you don't need to be. You really don't need to be. (laughs) Uh. So this brings me to the comedy portion. So there's this festival in Montreal, Canada, Quebec. It's called Juste pour rire. Juste pour rire, which means just for laughs. It is an international comedy festival. Now, when you go to this festival, there is so much of it that is very French-Canadian. It's like someone walking on a tightrope above the city and lots of clowning and lots of just very what you would think like kind of old world Europe mixed with new wave French-Canadian people who only speak French kind of thing, right? That's part of the festival. The other part is a bunch of comedians worldwide, heavily, heavily from America, though, descend upon Quebec for, uh, I think it's uh, two weeks or a month in July. I think the two-week portion that's for Americans and, you know, Australians and the UK, I think, I think the festival's a month long, but I think the parts that I've been to are just the part that we would go to as Americans. So the festival is kind of full of shit. Like it's a big honor to get in it and it also means nothing. And it's also doesn't mean you're not funny or won't have a career if you don't get in it. It's everything at once as, as all things that are hyped usually are. Now in the eighties and nineties, there was a thing called the new faces festival the New Faces show as part of the Montreal Comedy Festival. Now, it was a big deal. It's, it still exists. Back then, every stand-up comedian who had, you would do about a seven-minute set on this show. 
Not long, not long at all. And you would have your perfectly crafted jokes, very similar to in the 60s and 70s, you'd go on Johnny Carson, do your seven-minute set, introduce yourself to America. Johnny would say, you're funny, come sit on the couch. The next day, if it went well, literally no joke, you would be booked in all of the big uh, places to perform. You'd get a little thing in Vegas. You'd get a thing here. The bookers around the country would contact your agent. It was sort of like overnight sensation that you took years to work on. That system, even though who gets on Carson, you're dealing with gatekeepers that can keep out women and gays and people of color and blah, blah, blah. But once you're in front of the American people, I like that idea because if they're laughing in the, in the audience at the Carson show, they make up, they kind of represent, they're like, they're like senators and Congress people. They represent the people of America. You know that that material will work all over the country. And so if Carson says you're funny and now the bookers watching the show, they'll book you. And back then there was so little on TV. Everyone watched Carson. Everyone knew that comic. You could say from Johnny Carson, people are like, wow, they'll come see you. Some people got hugely famous from it, like Joan Rivers. And some people just managed to have like pretty good careers touring around. Well, so in the 80s and 90s, it became the new Faces Festival. So what would happen is everyone that worked in the industry, as we call it, uh, would go up to Montreal. So you've got people that cast TV shows. You've got development people on TV networks that give away money so that you can write them a pilot script based on your life. You've got people who book comedy clubs. Uh, not really that, but it's more of the TV industry. Agents, managers. So the, you had to be a comedian with no representation. And the New Faces scouts would come around, watch you at a club. If you were funny, they'd put you on the New Faces Festival. You did your seven minutes up there in Montreal in front of uh, audiences. And if you did well, you would literally get off stage and someone, there'd be an agent and a manager waiting to represent you. And there would be someone from some TV network, I am not joking, that was about to give you a six-figure, sometimes seven-figure deal with them. And it would be, we're going to give you a million dollars for you to create a show about yourself. They had so much money back then. We're going to give you hundreds of thousands of dollars to, um, they would call it a, uh, oh, it's not a development deal, a, a holding deal. So you're going to be in a holding deal with ABC. You cannot work for any other network, but we're going to give you $300,000 and you can live on it for a year or two. And in that time, you'll be first in line to audition for every ABC sitcom. We'll try to develop one for you blah, blah. A lot of people spent that 300 grand in one year. They bought a big mansion and a Ferrari thinking my show's going to go. I'm going to get cast and nothing ever happened. And they're fucked. Some people did really well. Some people, nothing ever happened. But in the nineties, all that money went away and nobody was getting these development deals anymore. It's not a thing. Late nineties, early two thousands. It was just more of a badge of honor. And by the time I came around in comedy, which was late 90s, early 2000s, to be a new face, you actually had to already have a, an agent and a manager. Like maybe you hadn't done much TV um, and yet you weren't working as a professional comic, but it was for the industry to see you. And they weren't waiting for you when you got off stage. They would talk to your agent and manager. I mean, it's stuff that you could get without having to go to Montreal. It's stuff like the stuff that I ended up getting in my career, which is the opportunity to write pilots about my life. They didn't get made, but to get paid to do it. I did that just from being around long enough and being on Netflix and 
and being a well-known comedian that people liked and and whatever that, you know, and having a good manager, a good agent, then the networks want to meet with you because you are a viable thing for them. You have a fan base. You're touring. Like they, they would be smart to do business with someone who uh, already is bringing people to the table, right? In terms of who might tune in. So I don't need new faces. I did at the time when I first started, but at the same time, I'm not sure it would have been good for me to be in it because I'm not exactly a short set person. And so if you do badly, you're kind of fucked for a long time. Like the industry cannot understand you're actually funny. Maybe you had a bad set. Like it is so black and white. So there's a lot of blessings to be had by not being booked. I was never booked. The people that booked it didn't think I was funny. Um, And I was busy performing at once in a while, like once a year, if I could get a spot at the Luna Lounge in New York City every Monday night, the hot alternative comedy show. It was called Eating It at Luna Lounge. Eating It is a colloquial term in comedy for bombing. And the joke was that like you might bomb on this show because it's where alternative comedians go to do their alternative thing. And Janine Garofalo was always there. Mark Maron, they were the darlings of, of the room as they should have been. They are both incredible. And I had started in Boston and I didn't know who Janine was, Mark. I didn't know about alternative comedy. I was in a fucking bubble, people. I was listening to Lenny Bruce records in the late 90s in my bedroom, uh, in my apartment that I shared with my friend, Tim. You can ask Tim. He's the one that got me into Lenny Bruce. He bought the records and he's like, I think you'd like this. And I would listen to it every night the way you're listening to this podcast in bed and I thought I was going to be Lenny Bruce and I had a short 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 haircut and uh you know it was that 90s androgyny and I smoked cigarettes and I sat on stools and I thought I was really giving it to the world with my opinions they were not well formed but you know I was learning I was a kid and uh, the Boston Globe wrote an article about me and Eugene Merman who ran this room that I did every week and they called me the female Lenny Bruce now that is to me Like, I can't even deal that someone said that. It was such a compliment at the time. Um, However, looking back on it, it is uh, not deserved after doing comedy for six months. And perhaps they were only commenting on, like, she's trying to be Lenny. Although I don't know how I would try to be. I mean, I didn't act anything like him. I think it was, I don't know. I don't know why they said that. Now, it doesn't matter, though. If you live in Boston and the Boston Globe does an article on you six months after you've just started in stand-up, and they call you a name like that. It's weird, but like a manager in New York found out about it and she called me and decided to represent me. So she's going around New York telling people this hot new young comedian, not hot like looking, but hot, you know, uh, she's coming in from Boston. She's moving here. She's the female Lenny Bruce. Like if I were a man, you bet your fucking ass they would have rolled out the red carpet for me. And again, it would have been a bad idea. I was not that funny, but I was not as unfunny. I was the same amount of unfunny as anyone just starting out, but you could see I had promise. And Jeff Singer, the man that booked the Luna Lounge, never thought I was funny. He also had a fetish about women looking feminine. I guess I wasn't feminine enough for him. And he used to torture me with saying things like, you know, he would let me on the show sometimes. Because a very cool male comedian vouched for me that he liked. Um, a couple of them did. And I don't know why I'm not naming them. I'm just not. Doesn't It's irrelevant to the story. They're both great guys. And uh, he let me on the show to please the guys. And then was like, you're not allowed to smoke on stage. That's Mark's thing. I'm like, it's actually everyone's thing because it's the 90s and we're still allowed to smoke inside. Tons of people smoked on stage sometimes. And it had been my thing since the beginning. It was how I timed my set in Boston. Like, me on stage was me on a stool smoking. Like, I'm sorry, that was just what I did. 
I came to New York. I didn't know who Mark was. I came to New York already. Mark didn't fucking care. You think he cared at all that someone else was smoking on stage? Like, who cares? That wasn't like his thing, but it was my thing. And he's like, you can't do that. Only Marin can. Now, see, he wouldn't see already. I'm, I'm painting a picture. You don't you wouldn't talk to a, a woman that way. You wouldn't talk to a man that way. Then one night, I can't see for shit like distance. So if I if someone's like six feet away from me, I can't see their face. I have to wear glasses when I drive, watch TV, whatever. Up close, see perfectly. And this one night, I just happened to have my glasses on because um, I was like, oh, it, it might be cool to be able to see the faces in the back of the room. And and they weren't even Jeanine Garofalo type glasses. I don't even know what they were. They probably weren't. They're probably like more like, I don't even know what they were, but like a million people wore glasses. And Jeff said, don't wear glasses. That's Janine's thing. And I was like, why is this guy up my fucking ass? Then he started saying, you do these lo- stories that are too long, but they weren't too long, meaning like I was running over my time. He was just like, get to the punchline quicker. And I was like, but there isn't a punchline in that. Like, this is what I do. I've been doing this, you know, for two years. And he's like, well, you're never going to get on late night TV if you don't have a short five minute set. And then that's like, oh shit. Because see, late night TV, when I was little, was if you go back and watch Joan Rivers or anyone, even unknown people on late night TV, they're doing 12 minute sets and they're doing stories. But I guess that wasn't a thing anymore. I wasn't, I didn't really know because I wasn't watching late night TV. I'm still stuck in the sixties when comedy actually was fucking good in that sense. People weren't stupid. Audiences had patience. And so he got me all frazzled and you need to be like Mitch Hedberg, short jokes, short jokes. And I'm like, well, why am I supposed to be like Mitch Hedberg when I'm clearly like more on this Garofalo Marin thing it, it, at the very least because of the glasses and the smoking? Like, so Jeff just made me fucking crazy. And I fucking listened to him because there was no Internet and there was nowhere else to turn. And you just did what people said. And, and I guess I inherently as rebellious as I was talking about the patriarchy on stage, I wasn't understanding in real life how I was taking seriously everything a man said to me. Like I wasn't there yet in realizing how under the thumb I was of this shit. So I just thought he was just a prick that that, you know, was on a power trip. He wasn't nice to comics. I mean, this is supposed to be fun. Everyone, oh, comedy's fun. We get in it because it's fun. People treat us like shit. So then Jeff started booking new faces. And by the time he started booking it, I was already quite established. I was on Chelsea Lately. I'd put out an album that did very well. I was, you know, well-known around LA and New York. I was uh, opening up for people on the road. Um, and I auditioned for him four times. And... He knew certain people weren't funny and he didn't want them, but he would never just tell their manager no more of her. Sometimes he would just do it to torture you. And he had a thing where we found out later, all the rumors would swirl. He only liked women if they wore heels. He didn't like women who wore skirts with boots. And like, that was a weird, he had these, all these weird things. Women couldn't look like this. They had to be fuckable or a big, large black woman. That was his thing. Um, he did, he literally was caught saying women aren't funny backstage. I found this out from all these comedy bookers that contacted me privately to be like, oh yeah, I've known Jeff is awful the whole time. Cause something happened to him recently. I'll get into that. One night he made me audition for the new faces festival. Again, I was in the middle of my first book deal. I'd been on Chelsea forever. Um, I was doing well. And I thought, well, fine, fuck it. Hey, new faces can't hurt. So uh, he had me audition at this comedy club, The Laugh Factory, but he said I wasn't going to be on the show show. 
because uh, it was too full. The show was going to be at like 7.30. But I could audition for him before the show started at 6.45 when no one was there. Just him and another person from the festival. And my manager was like, so she's going to do comedy in an empty room. He's like, uh, I'm a professional. Like, I don't need the laughter of the crowd to influence me. Like, if they laugh, it doesn't mean she's funny. And if they don't laugh, it doesn't mean she's not. He, and my manager was like, are you willing to do this? I was like, not really. She's like, just do it. I was like, you know what? Fine. I do it. I obviously bomb because no one's there, but I bomb because Jeff's just staring at me and he knows what he's doing. And, and I'm back then I'm like, am I fucking paranoid or is he fucking with me because he hates me? And he knows I've been talking shit about him ever since Luna Lounge. He's standing there, arms crossed, face, you know. Then he says to my manager, she bombed. My manager's like, well, you said no one was there. He's like, no one was, but I know she would have bombed if people were there. That's the kind of people we're talking about. Cut to last weekend. It's revealed by a comedian who, who posted about it, that Jeff said the N-word to another comedian and that comedian's friend. Those two people he said it to were black. And he was doing that thing of, but you guys just said that word. Why can't I say it to you? And people were like, oh my God, and trying to explain. Other white people were jumping in. Jeff, no, 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 we don't do. And he kept doubling down. He's also said to gay comedians, I hope your set's not too gay. He said to female comedians who are gay, you're too pretty to be gay. Come give me a hug. He's sexually harassed women. He has uh, demeaned women by being like, you can't be too masculine. You can't be too this. He doesn't like gay men. He doesn't even like straight white men who are allies of any of the above. He's been transphobic. He's just a nightmare. And this guy has been doing this job for 20 years. Like, I'm not someone who's like, if you're old, stop working. I mean, he's in his 50s. I'm not like that. But if you are not good at your job in the sense that you are supposed to be finding the freshest new talent out there, and that's going to include people that aren't just straight white men or the type of like the type of women he likes with like the high heels and the thing. I mean, honestly, a lot of times those people aren't funny, you know. You need someone in there who's on the cutting edge. They don't have to be young themselves, but they've got to actually love comedy and love comedians. And they can't be abusive and on a power trip because what was making me so sad is once this comedian posted about Jeff, I was like, oh, here we go. I'm posting everything that that he did to me. But And I encouraged female comedians. Like I said, once that comedian posted that Jeff said the N-word, I go, Jeff has 24 hours and he'll be fired or he'll quit. He's no longer in power. We don't have to worry about him. We shouldn't have been worrying about him anyway. And I had friends who are professional. They don't need him for a job. People that they're on their way up. And I'm like, guys, I'm, I will, I will, you can move in with me if I'm wrong. This will not hurt your career. Say something, say something. And they wouldn't. So I said, okay, you can say it to, to me, direct message. I'll post what you said. I won't say who you are. People were shitting a brick about even having me post their anonymous stories. Like somehow they were going to find out and get in trouble. I'm like with Jeff, the loser that books this festival for 20 years. I mean, sometimes in comedy, if you've had the same job 20 years, like it's not a good look either. Means like no one else wants you. And a few people, women in the industry very telling men in the industry, comedy bookers I know texted me to do that feeling it out thing. Like, hey, I never harassed you, did I? Like, they're basically like, uh oh, am I next? And I'm just like, I love that I get these people running scared. I am not afraid of fucking anybody. Then the female bookers and, and industry people in my life emailed me saying, thank you for being part of the people that spoke out. Um, I tried to tell the festival about Jeff for so long, but because we were in different departments, they wouldn't listen. Everybody has known how horrible he was and the male bookers cover for him and the women um, speak up and nothing's ever done. And so 
Jeff resigned within 24 hours of that other comedian calling out Jeff's racism. And I guess I was part of it by facilitating the sexism discussion, but it would have happened anyway. I I can't give myself any credit, but I loved being part of it. And, uh, you know, he's not the only one to go. Like, this is, there are so many more just like him in the shadows. And we're watching you. We're watching you. The thing that sucks, too, is someone like Jeff, he used to teach courses that comedians would have to pay for hundreds of dollars. How to audition for Montreal correctly. It's like, so you're telling people how to do their comedy in a way that goes against their instincts that is going to end up being a good audition, which isn't what comedy is. And then the audition is going to make them eligible for a festival, which is, again, yet another unnatural environment. And it's like, but if if you guys had been there, if you guys, my audience members, had been at any of these shows watching comedians audition, you would have seen what was funny about each person. And if you took one of his courses, which thank God I never did, and you saw what he was telling people to do on stage in order to kind of win and get in the festival, you'd be like, "Who?" but we don't want that as the audience. We don't want some pat five minute thing where someone's like, I know what you're thinking. My mother's Chinese and my father's Jewish. So that means I'm Jewish. You know, like you don't want those hack jokes, but that's the kind of shit he would tell people to do. I mean, not literally that, but there's so many gatekeepers Right. It's like and the industry falls all over themselves each year for the new faces. So you might go, why aren't you on a TV show? Well, the industry spent two weeks in July getting drunk at this festival, being told who the people they should put on TV are. So they start with those people. A lot of times, though, the industry doesn't even end up going to the new faces shows because they're like, I'll just see them around town. And they end up getting drunk and going to the big gala shows. They go see Dave Chappelle. They try to get in the green room and meet him. Like, it is such a disaster. It's literally just a party for the comedy industry. And a lot of people in the comedy industry are single men who are trying to hit on people, even performers or married men trying to get away from their families or women. It, it's in the, a lot of the current gatekeepers now are women. And by the way, by speaking out against Jeff, I didn't do myself any more favors with Netflix because all those people are like in his camp. So it's like, but listen, I, even if I never do comedy again, um, which of course I will, I'm just waiting for the inspiration to strike. I needed to take a big, big break. But no matter what, even if I stop and I, you know, get another job, I am here for the generations under me so they don't have to go through what we did. And even if the generations under me call me boomer and they don't get it and they think I'm old, I don't care. I I care about comedy. So good riddance fucking Jeff Singer. You sucked the whole time. And I've never been happier that, you know, part of me wishes you got fired a long time ago. But part of me is happy you got fired in the internet age so we could all see you. We fucking see you. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Ugh. All right, I told you I was going to talk about sharks. 
I'll do that, and I'm going to answer the listener emails next week. There are just a few of them, but they're going to spark. Um, they're going to spark not only joy, but they're going to spark me off on some tangents. So let's just save those for next week in case I need something to talk about. But let's talk really quickly about sharks. Now, as we get into the summer and you're getting back into the ocean, I want to remind you, sharks are something we need to avoid. Of course, you don't want to get bit, but they're not the enemy. It's a Los Angeles Times article from May about a man named Carlos who is uh, surveying the waves off of a Santa Barbara County beach. He's teaching his son to surf. He launches his video drone, hoping to spy what might be moving stealthily among them, great white sharks. Great whites used to be thought uh, somewhat rare in these southern waters, wandering now and then from the wilder coast up north. Most surfers considered it supremely improbable that one of these uh, sharks was hunting for food at their break. The advent of drone photography has devoured that notion. Carlos spots a great white within a minute and a half of his drone launch. The animal weaves languidly in the surf line about 100 yards from father and son. Wow, he's in the waves, he says. That's so pretty. Soon, he has locked his screen on four more juvenile sharks, all near the shore. Carlos Guana is not surprised. Unlike police chief Martin Brody in Jaws, he does not run screaming up the beach at everyone to get out of the water. The young shark's presence is normal. For much of the year, they are here, and not just at this beach, but along the entire coast from San Diego up to Point Conception. Humans just couldn't see them until now. These types of encounters have always been happening, he said, which shows you really just how low the number of shark attacks are. Carlos, through his YouTube channel, which is called The Malibu Artist, is part of a cadre of researchers and photographers using drones to study great white shark behavior and present them in a more realistic light than the hyped-up reality shows and horror movies. Drones have become such a valuable tool for us scientists now, says Christopher Lowe, a professor of marine biology and director of the Shark Lab at Cal State Long Beach. It gives us that bird's-eye view that we didn't have before. They're talking about how Carlos always gets awesome footage. Most of the, uh, the great white sharks' lives remain a mystery. For instance, tagging has shown that California adults spend most, uh, adult sharks spend most of their lives in the middle of the Pacific between Baja, California, and Hawaii. Males for eight months of the year, females for a year and a half at a time. No one knows why or what they're eating out there. But scientists are zeroing in on answers with more satellite tagging and aerial surveillance. Drone surveys of the coast are there to find out what type of water is used mostly, uh, water user is most likely to encounter a shark. You've got stand up paddle boarders who are further away from the beach. You've got surfers who are outside the break. You've got waders and swimmers, and they're all in different places. We're trying to find out where sharks are spending their time. Researchers long wondered how sharks, uh, beyond the little rare bites that make headlines, how did they behave around people? Were they curious, skittish? Did they just ignore them? So far, it looks like the sharks just don't care, said a researcher. The surfers can't see them. The swimmers can't see them. But now we can see the sharks from the air. And in those cases, the sharks just don't seem to change their path. Sometimes they'll swim right under a surfer, but they don't circle back. They just keep going. 
One of the cameramen notifies lifeguards when he does see white sharks near people. The question now is, what do the lifeguards do? They can't close the beach every time a mid-sized juvenile shark shows up or the beaches will be closed constantly. The last fatal attack uh, south of Point Conception occurred in Solana Beach in 2008, but there have been more than two dozen non-lethal incidents since then. Sharks have been around for 400 million years. Humans arrived around 300,000 years ago. And who knows when they started venturing into the shark's habitat. In evolutionary terms, we are still novelties to them. Sometimes the sharks do not act curious about us newcomers. And given their potential for probing, um, these moments can be harrowing. Uh, This guy, Carlos Guana, has been trying to find a drone that could give people alerts, but he hasn't found one that's compatible with the equipment he uses. But again, sharks have always been there. We now can see them because of drones. So surfers, people are still not seeing the sharks. And these people with the drones are like, oh my God, oh my God, that shark is like right underneath a surfboard. So in other words... It is constant that sharks are around people and most likely, most times, they do not bite us. Sometimes, I think if we're in the way, they will because again, we're in their home. And if there's anything to the fact that like global warming is changing their patterns, then again, that's our fault too. So again, sharks, I got your back. I got your fins. If I'm ever eaten by one of you, I will say that is the cycle of life. I will not allow anyone to call it a shark attack. I suppose I won't be alive, but let this be my message. If I get attacked by a shark, in my name, people, nobody call it a shark attack. It was a shark doing what it do. I was an intruder. Again, thank you, everybody, for being part of this podcast. I am continuing the conversation over on Patreon. It's going to be the third 20-minute bonus of the month. And on this 20-minute shorty bonus, I'm going to be talking about how Jeff Bezos, the man who doesn't pay his own taxes, let alone his corporate taxes, is going to space in a couple of weeks. I'll be talking about that. That is available to the $15 and up level a month Patreon subscribers. This will be their fourth bonus this month. And again, check out the Patreon uh, just posted this week, my one-hour special episode about my journey with anxiety and uh, maybe some stuff in there that can be helpful to anybody. That's available to the $10 and above levels, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Of course, just click the link in the show notes. Oh my God. And how could I almost forget? Um, Well, I'll do them next week. I'll do my Patreon shout outs next week. Okay. So we've got some shout outs for some of the subscribers and uh, we'll get to that next week and a couple listener emails. and, And you know what? Who knows what else, right? But until next week, have fun.